Hello, everybody, and welcome to Minute 106 of Season 5 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Dave Pallas of Five Minutes of Mystery. Welcome to the show, Dave. Hello, Rob. Thank you for having me on. I just got back from the Jersey Shore, so I went from nice sandy beach weather to Christmas Eve in Washington, D.C., getting ice blood while I'm trying to jump out of a chopper. It's a real whiplash. Well, isn't that the way you're supposed to do it? You know, <laughs> I didn't pack for this. I packed for the um, beach. <laughs> well, again, that's part of the whole, the whole you know, fun of it all. You don't pack and uh, you just you deal with it as, as it comes along. <laughs> I need a line you know. for this code. That's true. <laughs> right. So I, hopefully you'll be prepared for the rest of the week. <laughs> that that's that? I'm freezing on the tarmac. One of the two. <laughs> something like that, or or on the wing of an airplane, something like that. You know, <laughs> hey, you know what? You know what? I got an idea. How about we just wing it this week? <laughs> How's that? Maybe maybe that'll work. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're going to be winging it, everybody. So enjoy that. <laughs> All right. So minute 106 begins with John making his pitch and ends with Esperanza trying to keep hold of the plane. So basically, we, we ended things on Friday with John doing his best to try to stop the, the 747, the cargo plane that the, the bad guys are trying to get away in. And. You know, what better way to do that than to to try and convince a crazy helicopter pilot to put the plane in its path. But, uh, you know, he didn't really want to agree. So John had to try and think of something else. And this minute begins with him coming up with a new idea. And he he decides that he's going to, you know, jump on onto the, the wing of the plane, you know, for whatever reason. I don't know. The script writers. Yeah. I am so surprised at that moment. You know, right after he jumps, I assumed Sandy and her like cameraman would have been like, "That's this is news, baby." Like we're the only ones with the exclusive scoop that like, you know, we you know like a dear say L A off L A P D officer in this movie, John McClane is hanging on the wing of the plane trying to stop the terrorists who are responding. Like you know, I'm just saying, like it's just so funny how like I'm so surprised that Sandy Coleman is like, "Oh, good luck, John," and she's not like. Record that. Hit record that now. Like just like you know, leaning out of the the helicopter because like, I mean, now the journalists are actually if it if it wasn't for Sandy's crew having a helicopter, if like if they brought a van that night, this wouldn't be happening. That's true. That's a good it's point. Runs, and the guys would have gotten away. Like it. So we gotta thank Sandy and her team for like. They're like, yeah. hey, is it is it a snowy blizzard in 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 Dallas? Yeah. All right. Let's bring the chopper. Like, like they're just like the camera guys. Like, yeah. You know, the helicopter pilots. Like, yeah. I'll fly you and your camera crew out tonight. Yeah. Sure. Midnight at at, uh, at the at an airport, packed with people coming in. Like, it's such a you know four hours earlier. This was such a no fly zone, and now it's like everybody's got to land. And this chopper is like has the entire runway to itself right now. Like, th- they're getting like such an exclusive that help that that journalists can't ever like they can never like yeah. fly over an airport thornberg, thornberg would be eating his heart out right now if he if he knew that that, that <laughs> sam coleman and her crew were the ones who were able to get get the, the yeah. this shot you know I mean, he's right like now he's like damn i'm stuck in a plane 
Yeah, he's like probably like I'm sure if there's an air marshal, would have handcuffed him by now, like to the seat. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, he's just, he's he's I think just pissing it in his pants. I think that's what he's doing <laughs> after being yeah. zapped like that. Screw you, that, Dick. That's yeah. what I think. That's so funny. God, he oh man, that's insane. When you guys were talking about just the absolute chaos, he's you know not even thinking straight. You're like, yeah, I would call it, and how he embellishes it too, like. He went to wax poetically about, like, because he did the first movie, too. How he's, like, the That's fraternity right. of having terrorists attack your city. Like, what sick way of, like, to describe <laughs> that. But that's Richard Thornburg for you. What can you ah, do? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so so John is, is trying to stop the 747, and he screams, hang on, hang on. And then Sam grabs him and goes, what are you doing? You know, she's trying to trying to, you know, talk some sense into him. Right. And he turns to her and goes, you want a story, didn't you? Nice and easy, boys. Get me in low. <laughs> and, you know, he's telling the pilot what to do. And at this point, you actually see that the cameraman uh, picks up his camera and starts to film. I mean, remember, those big ass cameras of the 80s. Yeah. You, know, you have to, to carry on your shoulder. But in, in this cramped helicopter, you know, the, the, the guy still puts it on his shoulder and does his best. To, to film John, you know, maybe maybe he was maybe he was trying to maybe he was hoping that it would make it onto Faces of Death, or <laughs> oh, you know, man. did wait Faces of Death they had back then, but they, did, I don't think they had the Darwin Awards yet because Darwin this would probably fit into you know uh, well John survived so he wouldn't have you know what the Darwin Awards are right? I would assume it's kind of like what the the stupidest thing you could have possibly done type of video is it like. It's, is it like is it like it's, next level America's Funniest Home Videos? No, it's it's worse. It's it's basically um, an award that they that that is given out. I don't know if it's a real award or not to the person who died in the dumbest way over the course of the year. Jesus, you know, I, I think I think two seasons ago we talked about that there was a, one of the winners was a guy who like put balloons on his beach chair and ended up uh, you know he he, he crashed. Oh, <laughs> you know, there, yep. there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, you can anyone can go and look it up. There's there's a whole website of, for the Darwin Awards. I, I don't again. I don't remember if they did them all the way back in 1990, but yeah. you know, th- this cameraman is probably not thinking that he's going to get a scoop. I think he's saying I'm going to have good film footage for something else. Have Have you ever seen Faces of Death? I mean, like yeah, back in my like teenage years, and I re- I remember like late night TV had kind of like the VHS, like you know, you won't believe. These are the faces of death on VHS for, you know, four easy payments of eighty nine ninety nine. You know, some like, you know, they give you a box set of like, you know, eight VHS tapes for like a hundred bucks or something. I remember that being like a kid, being like, <laughs> whoa, it's so metal. And being like trying to, you know, but uh, no, I, I've, I've kind of moved past that. I don't, I don't, I don't need that. Right. No, I, I wasn't asking if you've seen them recently. I've, I've yeah, I'm them. Like, I mean, I. I remember, I think it was probably in 1990 or 1991, a friend of mine and myself, we said, oh, we're going to we're going to go watch Faces of Death. You know, oh, we're going to go rent it. And we rented it. And we we were like because we had heard all the stories about Faces of Death, you know, that, you know, honey, stay away from that bear. And then you hear like a big roar and then a, yeah. a guy like fly by, you know, things like that. I mean, for people who don't know, Faces of Death is is a cult uh, video series that they, they made in the 80s uh, showing live footage of people dying. Right. Yeah. It's and like, so my it's friend like and I, we, you know, that's right. Um, so my no, well, well snuff, uh, snuff films are are murder. These aren't these aren't necessarily true, murder. True. That's, that's true. That's true. Dying in crazy ways. So I mean, I know that that uh, 
so my friend and I we were both like 16, 17 at the time. And we're like, yeah, we're going to go watch Faces of Death. And remember, we put it on. And during the credits, they're showing like a, a heart operation or something like that. So within like two minutes, we turned it off. We're like, OK, that's enough. <laughs> we yeah, can't watch this. Intense, guys. It was like it was too much. It was too much. So I have never seen Faces of Death. I've been tempted to, to go back and rewatch it now that I'm a little older and can probably stomach things a little better. Uh, except for the fact of knowing that it's all real, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I want my, I want my crazy violence very fictional. Way too much reality uh, in violence in the world. Exactly. Today. I yeah. just want to see yeah, jump I, like terrorist guys. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. I think that's the way to do it. Just, just wait for John McClane. That's it. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get some, we'll get a nice death this later this week, but we'll, 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 we'll get there. We'll get there. And. So, you know, the, the cameraman is filming John, and then we get an, an external shot of the helicopter actually descending towards the plane, which I got to say is a really cool shot. I mean, the fact that they they really did this with, uh, you know, the, uh, on the commentary, so Rennie Harlan mentions that this plane is the only real plane that they use in the movie. Everything else is a model, mm-hmm. but <laughs> this one is real. And the fact that you know, so apparently they, they did the real stunt of having, you know, a helicopter come close by and, you know, having the stuntman jump from the helicopter onto the airplane wing itself. Obviously, yeah. and also, it's not know, really they had another helicopter <laughs> above this helicopter to film Filming. that helicopter. So like that, yeah, that stuntman that does the jump has two different rotor watches hitting him when he hits that wing. That's right. That's very true. I mean, nowadays they would just use, you know, a. Uh, uh, a drone. Uh, a drone, exactly. That's the word I was looking for. a drone, they would, and it would CGI the plane, so it's like, it's a static wing on a green screen, and they would just have, right. you know, they're just, you know. I mean, they essentially, it would be the Fast the Fast and Furious 6 ending, where it's just like a giant CGI plane on a CGI runway with a fight scene that goes on for like 15 minutes. At least with this, like, you know, we, we know the plane's slow because it's warming up, and, and he's about to jam the wing, but also... Um, it's only like about five minutes between when he jumps on the plane to when he's off. It's like five, almost five real minutes. Whereas I think right. in Fast Six, it was like almost ten, if not twelve, maybe fifteen solid minutes of the third act is them having three different fight scenes on this plane. Right, it's true. But I, I still like this one better. Sorry. Oh no, no I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'm I, I, I like stress. practical effects more. <laughs> You know, I'm 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 more of a practical effects uh, fan. Saying, yeah. Even though I, I'm not saying CGI saying. doesn't look cool and, and green skin, it looks really cool. You know, yeah. but, but you know, knowing that someone really jumped. That is, yeah. yeah, seriously. So yeah. John does his best to, to you know to try and figure out a way to to work work his plan, uh, even though Sam is still trying to to, to stop him because she goes, "Where are you going?" <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's right. Typical, it's, like, it's not like they're going to knock, knock. Like the guys are going to let him in. He's just, can you guys please slow down? They're not going to do That's right. But the funny thing is she's the only one protesting. The other four guys in the, or the other three guys are, are not saying anything. You know, you got the, the sound man, the cameraman, and the pilot. They're like, okay, let him go. <laughs> We're good. Go ahead and jump, John. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I mean yeah. that's I don't know. It's, it's one thing we haven't thought about is like, okay, the one thing that I mean, I'm sure you talked about this earlier in the film. So remind me. But like we we have not addressed those federal officers since like minute what four of this film. Um, so it's like those federal officers were supposed to take 
Esperanza into custody, you know, when this was supposed to be a normal Christmas Are you talking about the Department of Justice guys? Right, yeah, okay. those guys. Right. So those, like, those suits are probably just still sitting in the lobby, like, probably trying to make calls, being like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, they're trying to call probably their own FBI. Um, guys, I have, I have 100 questions all about that, and I'll save them, like, piecemeal them out through our, our well, week I can, here. I can, actually, I can actually tell you where they are, because they, they showed them uh, when Blue Light showed up. So those guys all, all were there to, to greet Grant and his men. And when okay. they had the debriefing in, you know, in, in uh, uh, what are they called? The pilot's, uh, pilot's room or whatever it was, uh, pilot's lounge, I think they said. So they were there also. So we have seen them. They're not still yeah. sitting in the terminal, you know, saying I mean, no comment. Like, yeah. You know. But obviously the moment when like when Lorenzo and McLean go, yo, those are blanks. Grant's men are in on it, and that that whole when the when the actual like ruse is being revealed, I assume that the State Department, who they probably never called, or they made the, they made the one call and Grant's men picked up. Like those State Department guys, are like what our own like, our own counter terrorists are with the terrorists. They're just like, oh god, my job got so much worse tonight. Like their job was supposed right. to be escorting Esperanza into custody, and like and then the, now it's like, oh no. Our plan B was also part of the terrorist plan. Uh, and, like, they must try to be calling, like, FBI and, like, everybody. They, I, I, that's another thing is that, like, I have to assume that there's got to be a military base that's starting to, like, warm up jets to be like, wait, are you saying Esperanza is about to take off? I think we're going to have to do something drastic about that. Like, you know, like, I, I have right. to Right, well, I mean, you're bringing up some- – you're bringing up some great points about the fact that, you know, I mean, we, we talked about this uh, months ago and we, we, we don't have a clear answer, obviously, as to how they actually, um, you know, uh, how did Trudeau call? How did he know who to call? You know, it's like, how do you pick up the phone and say, OK, we have terrorists here. Um, you know, where where do we where do we go with it? I mean, there were I, I brought up a list of, of 10 different uh, anti-terrorist uh, units that theoretically could be used. But again, I don't think Trudeau would have known who they are. You know, no, he wouldn't have said, okay, I'm going right. to call the FBI or I'm going to call SWAT or whatever it is. I mean, they, they, they sort of uh, glossed over that, that aspect because, you know, like on the one hand, they don't want to raise panic by telling everybody, but on the other hand, someone needed to give yeah. off information at some point. So I, I think you're on the, on, on the right track here though, that maybe they went and spoke to the people of the department of justice. And they yeah, said, I, oh, you know I, what? I you know who yeah, you need? The, you need blue lights. These are the guys who are going to do it. Yeah. Like I said, I want to go into this. I don't know if you want to save this these topics for later in the week. But, like, I have a lot of questions about how Stewart and Grant, you know, how they planned this out. And, like, you know, they said, like, weeks of, as just bronze says, weeks of planning. I am very curious how they planned it yeah, out we'll, they were able to we'll, like get, get so to these we, places. we'll break it up let's let's break it up over the course of the week because i think i think those are those are great things to discuss you know some of them are, are stuff that we've we've touched on but you know uh I, we'll, we'll we'll go through it and see see cool. what else we can try and figure out because there's a lot that they leave for us to try and figure out on our own yeah you know there are a lot of unanswered questions here for sure okay fair enough all right so the, then we see the helicopter getting close to the wing and then um, Sam screams, you'll get yourself killed. Come back inside. And he goes, bring it in low. Keep over the wing. Lower. You know, and he's he's basically shouting. It, it always amazes me in movies how, you know, it doesn't matter how much noise there is, people can still hear you. Yes. You know? over, yeah. 
You know, this you know, you, honestly, you, you with, 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 yeah. with I'm just saying with John being like scared of heights, I feel like right here is where he kind of solves. If he didn't solve most of his fear of heights jumping off Nakatomi, I feel like he also solved it here jumping from helicopter to wing of plane. You know, like because right. he doesn't know that if he doesn't get to that wing and do something quick enough, they're going to take off and he might be hanging on for a you know. So it's kind of like that's a hell of a like conquering a fear of flights. I know they and, and when he gets to live free or die hard, he's like, oh, I did some helicopter training just so he can fly a helicopter. But I have to assume like after this, he's like, no, I'm good with heights now. Eh, this is this is I mean like what makes you what makes you think that he has problems with heights? He never well, mentions that he's that he well, has he problems has, like, with heights. He doesn't like flying. He doesn't, like to that to the business. he doesn't like to lose. He doesn't like to lose. He doesn't like flying. Doesn't like to lose. Um, and just obviously the fear when he looks over the the t- over the rooftop, like the, the the few times he's up on the roof in Nakatomi. So I just always right. took it as, and he keeps saying, "Oh, please, oh God, let me die." And obviously, if you were had to jump because you know the building's about to explode and you have to take your risk on a fire hose, like you're not going to be calm, cool, and collective. I 100% agree. Every 10 out of 10 people or 100 out of 100 people are going to probably do the same thing. Um, yeah, but I always took sure. it as like because of flying, I and, and and him jumping off the building. I always took it as he's got a fear of heights. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not like he's the opposite of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise probably looks at a building's roof and goes, "Ooh, that's interesting." John McClane goes, "No, nah, I don't want to be there." So I just feel like okay. I, mean, I never thought about that. Surrounding him in an airport where he's uh, happy to be on the ground, but he knows that yeah, now push come to shove, I gotta. I gotta take to the air, and yeah, I gotta, I gotta get on a wing of a plane and figure out what I'm gonna do. Uh, you see, I have a different take on it. I think that John isn't necessarily uh, a fear of heights is what agoraphobic, right? So I don't think he's agoraphobic. I think he's okay. he's more claustrophobic. He likes being in a place where he can have control of what's going on, and being huh. in, in in an enclosed aircraft, you know, is what would theoretically make him, you know, that that's his fear. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, yeah, you I wonder sense, what you would call the yeah. fear of losing. <laughs> I mean, like that's. I mean, yeah, that's just kind of like the, the the fear of like yeah losing control and being out of control is kind of like general anxiety. And him being a cop, he's probably so used to like yeah making sure that when he's in the room, he makes sure it order is established. So having to be like you have no power here in an airplane. If it's crashing, it's crashing. Nothing you can do if flashing a badge is going to help. So right. that that could be just general that. Um, I mean, also, I mean, that's part of why his marriage was on the rocks in the first movie was he had that's this right. fear of kind of like losing control of his family because he didn't he didn't put enough trust in a Holly that she would be a successful businesswoman out in L.A. He thought that was right. going to hurt the marriage. But really, it's his attitude about it and not trusting her is what um, really was hurting the marriage when they when they had that fight in July, as she says. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I never thought about it from that perspective. That's all also. I do. That's all I do is think about these things. But I don't have. I, 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 I think a lot of them. Until you bring me on. Exhausted. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it makes sense. There you go. <laughs> so as as the the helicopter gets gets really close to to John, or actually the stuntman makes a jump, and we hear a big scream as he's uh, uh, you know, as he's landing. And, you know, then he lands on the, the wing, and the first thing he says, we, we, we can hear him say, John, what the f*** are you doing on the wing of this plane? <laughs> he had to get ahead of the audience on yeah. that one, because we're all like, that's, yeah, what, when you, what is your plan? That's right. He, he doesn't really know his, his idea here. And then 
you know, he he looks over and decides to take his jacket off and, you know, ram it into something. Now, do you know what that's called of what, what he rams it into? Oh, gosh. I mean, if you told me, I'd just say the wing flaps, the you know, the hydraulic wing. Right. Well, that's what I thought also. I thought it was the wing flaps, but it's it's called an uh, aileron, A-I-L-E-R-O-N, which is a French for either little wing or for a fin. It's a hinged flight control sur- surface, usually forming part of the trailing edge of each wing, and they're used in pairs to control the aircraft in a roll which normally results in a change in flight path due to the tilting of the lift vector. Okay. So apparently if it's not closed, <laughs> you have a little bit of a problem. You know, you can't, you can't take off without it. Um, there is a little bit of controversy as to who actually coined the term or the idea of using, using one of these. Right. And it's uh, the, the Wright brothers had a legal battle with uh, with someone named Glenn Curtis as to whether their the the way that they created the wings in order to contr- to achieve lateral control you know who who thought of the idea the Wright brothers or Curtis mm. and apparently they ended up finding out that uh, Curtis basically kept stealing their their patent for his things that he was using oh. so you know it it was the Wright brothers who who really invented it uh, theoretically, from what we understand, and uh, basically when World War One broke out, they needed to start using it, you know, on their on other planes and stuff like that. So they they yeah, uh, of course dogfighting, you know, yeah, that's right. They got they got permission to do it. So yeah, I mean it, it's actually very cool the idea that that John even thinks of of doing something like that. Like if I was on a plane like that. I don't think I would have thought, okay, I'm going to go jam the, you know, the aileron, which I never even heard of before today, actually, because I always thought it was the wing, the, the, the wing flap or something like that. Maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's also referred to as the flaps. I don't know, but you know, that's, that's the official name of it. And, you know, we'll even get tomorrow. One of the characters even mentions it. So, you know, Mm. and I never caught that. I never caught the real name of it, you know, beforehand. Um, so yeah, so he, he, he jams the, the, his jacket in there and then the, the shot changes and we see Esperanza who begins struggling with the controls, you know, and, uh, once again, we'll go back to the idea that, okay, this is a guy who was just shot in the arm, uh, an hour ago <laughs> and he's still able to handle a 747 without a problem. And we, we see the, the blood stain, you know, on his, uh, on his arm. Of where yeah, I guess he had even though they, they did bandage him, bandage him up. I mean, we had John Leguizamo uh, a few weeks ago bandaged him up. So I don't know oh, where okay. that bandage went. Maybe maybe I, the bandage is on I, the inside. Yeah, and therefore yeah, yeah, we just, just you know the, yeah. the shirt the shirt is stained. You know that type of thing. Yeah, sure. But like I mean, like I assume weeks prior when they thought about this, Esperanza was like, "I'll fly the plane. Don't worry." You know, he just like. Throws it out there, and, and, and Colonel Stewart and Major Grant are like, all right, all right, the general wants to fly. We trust him to do it. And they're kind of like, I think it's shot. Like, are you good? I'm good. I am going to fly the plane. Like, all right, all right. We're not going to argue with general. <laughs> We're not going to argue with exactly. general. Like, 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 all right. Like, they're just like, you got it, boss. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later this week. Uh, there are sure. stuff that, that come up that, that, that will make us want to talk about that also. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and, but we can see that Esperanza is struggling a little bit, but he's basically now struggling because, you know, the aileron is uh, is jammed up. 
you know that that's uh you know it's not just because of his arm he he has a good excuse as to why you know he's having trouble you know it's it's not me it's not my arm it's it's the other arm of course yeah i i i assumed when he was the reason he was playing with that is probably while they were taxing he's probably they're probably trying to get out they can't just like sit there and test all the parts so he's probably like Testing that, making sure while well, eyes are like taxing and getting out of the hangar. So that's why he, was, he had him open. Probably was he's like having to train, having to like make sure all the systems work before they get on the runway because it's like we can't hang about. Like the ruse is going to be, and we're going to have like you know feds and cops here soon enough. So he's like, no, but maybe maybe to- there's something. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hal Hal Bryan, who was on uh, earlier this season, would know would know the answer to this, obviously, uh, because he's a pilot. But my my assumption is is that you know maybe when you're getting ready to take off, you have them uh, open and then you close them right before the takeoff. You know, that's what I would say. Yeah. I mean, but I, I yeah. have no idea. If I was a pilot <laughs> and and it's it was an uneducated IC- guess. Uneducated. Un- <laughs> this is me with a few a few uh, aircraft video game knowledge. So fair warning. But if I was exactly. piloting on it during a blizzard at night, and they said, "Oh, your plane's good for checking," the first thing I would do is like be playing with that. Yeah, flaps open, and it's like, and with Esperanza and the terrorists, they're like, "We got to get out of here soon. We can't sit here for 15 minutes and 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 play with everything." And so he's probably doing it in my mind while they're taxing. He's like. Steering the, the plane, taxing, and then he's like in between, like going, boop, 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 and he's just kind of playing with each little part of the plane, being like, "All right, that's good. Okay, good. That's not iced down. That's that that engine. That piece is warm. Okay, good." So he's probably doing all that. And yeah, when he's like, "Wait, hold on," now he's like, "Yeah, something's jamming it up." Like I could have swore this was working a second ago, and then he's like, "McLean." Makes sense. That's pretty much how this minute ends. Is there anything else you want to talk about with this minute before we get into the script? No, I mean, I feel like that, I mean, it's it's so funny how, yeah, this is McLean's uh, great last ditch, and the, the terrorists really thought they got away. You know, they thought, we're going we're to be sandy beaches, we're somehow going to make it out of the airspace, and like, you know, it's, it's it really is insane. Like, I want to talk more, once again, about these soldiers and how, like, they were became, they were military trained, like, a decade ago, they're hunting terrorists, or not terrorists, uh, communists in South America, and possibly you know as, as far back as like vietnam depending and it's just like we trained right. them for all this for years and then we were like abandoned them and just been like yeah you guys are war criminals now because it's about the war on drugs and we know you guys are moving drugs you know the whole iran uh a contra with like moving drugs mm-hmm. guns and this and that like gotta control terrorism but wait the drug war and it's just like so it is that that little I mean, I'm sure you talked about the whole thing with the, the, the way back ago with the TV at the beginning with, 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 when when William Sadler's is doing judo and stuff in the hotel room. But like naked Tai Chi, stuff, naked, tai, naked tai, chi. tai Chi. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Naked Tai Chi. And just like, uh, you know, like this whole Lord dump that you're kind of like, wait, there's a, we got a naked man. He's fighting. And you're, if you're like, get a half of you is like, wait, but something on the TV is important. Like you just, you know, that's going to cut. That's going to be important. And like, you know, by the end of this film, and it, it kind of is like. These guys are trained and they're like they're killing civilians, man. That's the creepiest part is at least like, like Gruber's men were bank robbers, posing as terrorists, and they didn't care about killing innocents. I think, honestly, the only person that has the best morality might actually be Simon Gruber in Vengeance. He's the only one who's kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to kill kids in a school, John. I'm here to make money, you know, like. 
I feel like he's the only one with the with the best morals of the entire franchise. Yeah, that's probably true. Because <laughs> I'm thinking Oliphant was pretty was I mean, Oliphant would kill his own men as soon as he doesn't need them. That's he's, right. He's pretty like he pretty it really doesn't care what happens. Uh, he just wants to be proven right at any cost. So I'm really thinking. I think the best moral morality is actually Simon Gruber in, in Vengeance. That says something. And and I think I think that that Stewart is probably the most naive of all of them. You know, the the because this this elaborate plan, which doesn't really make much sense. No, it doesn't you make know. much sense. And I mean, if you look There's at too it, many holes in his plan. It's one thing to kill a bunch of euro ter- euro trash terrorists that show up in L.A. and you know they, but it's like, but soldiers who are highly trained got took out by a cop. It really does make Colonel Stewart and and, and Grant look bad, like all their training, That's- and it's like. This one tired, jet lagged cop who flew in, who's been hanging out with his in laws all night, you know. <laughs> well, like, let's let's just talk about let's just talk about a few minor things that that I've talked about over the last few weeks. But but you know, the, their planning is so poor that that they expected all of their men to still be alive, right? So yes, why did they only have five snow snowmobiles for thirteen Ooh. people? Okay, oh, and that's so that's and then. Call. And then when you look in the cabin of this 747, okay, it's filled and there's like 12 guys there. So where would they have had room for the other 10 that are dead? Yes, that is so true. Okay, wait, how many snowmobiles you had? Six, was it? How many what? How many snowmobiles? Five? Five? Okay, Mm -hmm. so you can fit 10 on there max. Count Esperanza, he's an additional and comes they were, later. They were they were twelve plus Esperanza, so they had thirteen. The only thing I can think of is they thought they would still get get a hold of the jeep. Then again, then again, keep this in mind, they that that was a plan B and a plan C because they did not believe that not the necessarily going they, to find the, the church. Like that, that was a no, plan C. But they, no, I don't think so. I don't agree with you on that because because they knew that part of the plan was for Grant to come and and have the fake battle with them. So See, I, that, I think that's, that's where they were going to have the fake battle. I, I think that's a plan C. I'm sorry, but I think that's a plan C. I think they had plans that. All right. Look at this. Right. If Barnes and McLean aren't smart. Right. McLean's out there and Barnes is too worried about the lights and not using the uh, the outer marker beacon. Okay. He's not thinking about the church, is what I'm saying. And you, you, you take McLean out of this, right? You take McLean out of this. You got well, take McLean out of it. They don't even know how close. The, they don't no, know they don't. how quickly the guys get there. You yeah. know, be, before so, before Thompson is killed. Yeah. So blue light's yeah. still called. So so let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's hypothetically take McLean out for a minute. The annex shootout still happens. The British Airways is still going to crash because that's pretty much that's Trudeau and Barnes's fault. And a little bit of Lorenzo's. So that that's boom, that happens. McLean's not there. They get Esperanza and they and Esperanza, maybe if he gets lucky, he doesn't get a take a shot. He maybe he's able But it's the funny thing, is that you know, depend, no matter where they landed, like the Esperanza's guard units were still gonna get killed by Stewart. So I never understood that part of why he needed to like get them, you know? Cause he knew Whenever we land, my men are taking control of the airport. They'll just pose as whatever. Sadler will put on his, like, even... It's so funny how he's American, but he puts on even a more American accent. Hey, all good, buddy? 
Um, so well, he does that because he has to play. He's pretending to be numerous people because he's basically you know passing it from one controller to another controller, which is what you have to do. That we talked about back back then. Okay, that's good. All okay. right, good. All but, right, good. But I, I think I think according according to the script, the reason I mean according to how the script was was set up, the reason that that Esperanza had to kill you know the uh, muchacho and and then the the two pilots that was part of the plan because then then we're able to know that Esperanza knows how to fly a plane. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's true. And obviously he had a radio uh, stored somewhere in the cockpit. That's right. Yeah, under the so, dashboard. Yeah, so he knew that too. Um, it's just dang- I'm just saying it's a, it's a, it's unnecessarily dangerous in my opinion. If he would have just landed, uh, Stewart would have posed as airport control, and then they could pose as security teams out on runway, whatever the original runway was going to be, and just tell the foreign military, "Sorry about the storm, we had to land you here." By the way, we're terrorists. Bam, 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 and they get General Esperanza. But the okay. point is, point is, is I think. Barnes and McLean have not found the church is what I'm trying to get at. That's the whole point I'm trying to get right. at. So what I yeah, think no, would have happened is, I knew where you're going with that. That's great. Okay, that's, is that, that's a great way you're thinking about this. I think they would have taken the Jeep and they would have gotten some guys already out by the hangar. Or or if, and so yeah, we're, they're waiting on Grant. And well they have a van. I, they have a van also because they, they have, have the, van, the van yes. the van that they showed up at the church yes. at the beginning. Yes. Yes, the they they clearly took out some when Thompson and Baker showed up. That's right. That is true. So they have a van, they have a jeep, they have the snowmobiles, and they could also, if and there's another plan. Here's another plan they could have done: pretended to be arrested by Grant, so Grant's men hold them captive, and then they, you know, when they throw them in the back of the the, the truck, they can then just drive them to the hangar and uncuff them. Hypothetically, right? Okay, that's true. So also. like, I'm trying. So like, that's why I always sit with. I'm always like. I think they had several plans. Like uh, Gruber has essentially a plan A and plan B and maybe plan C, which is like get the hostages, they go to the roof, they get the code maybe from Takagi, and they're going to blow the roof and then they're going to escape from the hel- the ambulance. That's pretty much his plan. McLean messes with it. I think Colonel, between Colonel Stewart and Major, knowing that they have to dupe an entire airport police and possibly federal officers from foreign military, I feel like, yeah, they have at least like four backup plans. Which is why when they say those code lines, like we have a situation, it's kind of like them saying, we've now proceeded to the next uh, alternate plan phase. Change out your magazines, clear guns, let's put the blanks in and put on a good show. So, okay. so yeah, so that, that's what I want to say. I, want, I have more to say, but let's say that for next next episode. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So the, 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 the script is very, very short for this particular scene. Actually, for this whole week. There isn't much in the script because it's mostly descriptive. But so it basically says McLean sitting on the skid of this of the helicopter drops to a handhold as the skids come treacherously close to the plane wing. McLean's feet grope for the for the wing surface. But but the two aircraft, one still earthbound, move apart. Pause. McLean tries again and makes it. The chopper peels away and vanishes into the snowstorm. McLean panting wedges himself against an engine pod and starts to take off his jacket. Inside the cockpit, Esperanza lights a cigar and then looks out the window and frowns. So the whole conversation between Sam Coleman and John doesn't, doesn't appear in, in the, the script. Okay. So it's interesting that they did that. All right. So every Monday we have a segment called McLean Monday, where my guests will give their top five uh, Bruce Willis performances. So what, what do you got for us, Dave? Okay. So 
perform a i wanted to be you know try to have a few different takes than people in the past um so i will i'm going to actually I want, i'll start at the top with the top two unbreakable and die hard um wait one second you're starting at those are number one and two so number one and two start at the top because I, I think i want to save my right. other ones because they're a little bit more of off the beaten path so let's start with okay. unbreakable right. this movie makes me cry every time i cry every time during this movie like Drop of, you play you play the soundtrack. I'm thinking about the soundtrack right now. I love I'm already the getting soundtrack. tears. Wow. Like I can feel it. My <laughs> my sinuses. That's how like memory hold I am to seeing Unbreakable and hearing that soundtrack. Wow. I remember when Shyamalan talked about making it, and he was like, I wanted to make a story about like Superman not knowing he was Superman. Like a real like he was on Earth and he didn't know his purpose and he didn't know he was Superman. I wanted to tell the story that way rather than like Pa Kent telling him he was able to find out, but he's almost like you know middle age at this right. point. So oh, wow. him him finding that out, the whole I mean everywhere from like finding out what the Orange Man does all the way until like the next morning when he's like quietly whispering to his son. I mean, he, t- you know, the wife and him are having trouble. He carries her up to sleep. He feels like the best he's ever felt in years. He feels like he has a purpose. That whole thing, even until the handshake with Sam Jackson and Mr. I'm Mr. Glass, I'm, I'm like, I'm in tears. That movie somehow always gets me. And anecdotally off of that, when I was watching Split, I'm like, I'm enjoying Split. I saw Split alone. No one would see with me. So Cherry Hill, that January, that movie's in theaters. I'm in, I'm in the theater. It's like me, a couple there's like maybe 20 30 people in the theater two of them are like this older couple and they are talking throughout the whole film they're like why is he saying why is he doing that i don't know lady he's crazy okay like he's got he's got a lot of personalities okay it's like i didn't say that but i'm thinking that i'm just like you just you're i'm trying to enjoy the m night Shyamalan film in front of me lady and then i remember him (laughs) and and then so i remember you know we get near the end spoilers for split by the way uh (laughs) <laughs> is that he turns into the beast. I'm like, yes, because I was like, okay. Like, now we've jumped from, like, oh, this could be a real medical condition to, like, we're now fully in the Shyamalan territory. We've kind of, like, breached that wall. We're in, like, the fantasy stuff that he does when he, like, there's that moment when he breaks the seal and it's like, go surreal, baby, you know, when he does that. Um, right. It's like, I'm like, yes, I'm 100% in now. And then, you know, Alan Taylor-Joy trying to run, yada, yada, yada. And at the end of the film, when he's talking to himself and he's like, he will know, he will know what to do and protect us. I started crying. I'm like, why am I crying? I don't know why I'm crying. What I realized, I'm thinking about it right now, I'm already crying. I'm already, I can feel my sinuses once again, is they're playing the James Newton Howard theme from Unbreakable. And I didn't, my brain knew it, but I didn't know it. And that's what's insane. Oh, wow. And so again, right now, I'm, my sinuses are already starting to tear up. And I'm just going sitting in the theater being like, I'm heavy. I'm overcome with emotion right now. And I don't know why. And so it cuts to the diner scene. And they're like, we're going to call him the beast. And then the ladies are like, there's another guy. I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. And I just remember you hear the Mr. Glass. It all comes. Hold on. Oh, God, my son. Give me a second. It gets me every time. And then, yeah, when, and when it's, the camera pans to Bruce Willis, you see it says, done. I just start to go, like that. Just absolutely screaming in the theater. I, I started, like, slamming the back of my chair. Everyone's looking at me. Like, I had an absolute emotional stab because I was like, holy shit. I didn't know this twist. And I was, like, <laughs> losing my mind. 
I was like, oh, no one, no one got it. No one was getting it. I clearly, I'm hyperventilating. I'm like that. Like I was like, what a twist. I can't get over that. Oh my God. That's how much I love Unbreakable. And I, wow. how Bruce Willis gets me every time is the fact that the score is used years later and split. I haven't even thought about Unbreakable. I think the last time I heard Unbreakable was like when Pat Oswalt was talking about that. Like, oh, M. Night Shyamalan should make a sequel to Unbreakable. And we're all like, yeah, yeah, he should. And that was like years prior to this even. Like, wow. that was like that was like 2012. Pat Oswalt was like talking about it on podcasts. So that's how much that movie's like got me. If you say like what Bruce Willis movie you have to keep, it's going to be Unbreakable. I had to choose that over Die Hard. How much it absolutely just like grips me every time. Um, so yeah, so then boom, we got number two, Die Hard. Die Hard, he's got to carry this film, and he's like not known. And we heard, we heard all the stories about how it's like he was like eighth guy on the list. He's just a TV comedy actor. What does he know? Um, and the fact that like he, this whole like East Coast attitude meets West Coast, you know, nonsense. It just it, it's amazing how much it works. Um, it's one of these things where I, I love the film absolutely, but I don't know what else I could say new about the not. A thousand other people have said it's why we keep arguing every Christmas where there's a, di- a Christmas, a diary, it's a Christmas movie. And it is. It's a bot. It's a Reagan era Western. Uh, it's a Reagan era Western Christmas. Like it's like all about cowboys and ranches, like white hats, black hats, the FBI are gray hats. Like they're all they all have their cowboy mentalities to them. And it's it's a uh, if you look at it that way where it's like he's got to protect the ranch, which is his family. And he has, you know, foreign invaders. He's got European terrorists and he can't trust the authorities to do the job. The FBI and the the, the police. He has to take it upon himself. It's it's something where it's like those moments in the movie. He doesn't even need to be an FDR cop. He could just be a guy who finds himself luckily, you know, outside the party. So. Right. But it works. It all works. And and it's great. Um, My number three is Last Boy Scout. I love Joe Hollenbeck, I love his you're going to lose, everybody hates you, smile you. I I love when he does that in the mirror. And, so, and that's how like his, yeah. we start the film. I love that. Like I feel that if you're ever doing a Die Hard trilogy marathon, you're like, oh, I want to get... I say add this after Die Hard 2. I feel like this is a good cynical Bruce Willis to add right there where you... You can almost pretend this could be the same type of vibe that Holly's having, where it's like the marriage just isn't like he's trying. He tried. It's not working anymore. Like you can pretend that's Lucy McLean. Like, sure, there's no there's no young John. There's no John Jr. But at least you could pretend like that could be Lucy McLean. He's not you know, she's not growing up right. You know, she's got a violent temper like her father. So it's there's there's moments that Shane Black feels like he's kind of like, no, I'm going to write a little McLean moments in here where he's just absolutely a cynical SOB and him and his wife are just constantly at each other's throats. And then I think when you go into Die Hard with a Vengeance, it feels even smoother. It's less of a like, oh no, he's back to York. It's like, yeah, I'm sure like, oh my God, I love, I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. And I know Niall's already talked about it, so I don't want to like talk about the fact that me and Niall talk about it. But the fact that like that's the best supporting cast, I always think about that supporting cast being like, yeah, in, in the universe, it'd be like, oh, John's marriage fell apart. He's back to New York. Oh, okay, yeah, we even kept his we kept his desk empty because we knew he'd be back here like within two or three years. And suddenly, <laughs> gun here he is. Like I like yeah. that's just such a such a scene that we don't see in this film. Is that like 
what is John McClane's <laughs> LAPD like? Like he, I guess he's on the streets. I guess it's like, did Walter Cobb give him a good like recommendation to like move out to LA? And I'm guessing maybe like LAPD's like, well, I guess like this near cop, like hero cop, it's good PR to have him on the force. It's kind of one of these things that they just like him so like no, actually I do hate L.A. I can't handle this. You know, just and then he brings that vibe home with his wife. So that's my reason for Last Boy Scout. It feels like it can fit right in in between Die Hard two and three, and you'd be like, cool. So um, my four and five is what I wanted to go. I wanted to try something else. So I went with a, an old favorite of mine, Miami Vice season one episode eight, No Exit. This might be Bruce Willis's first serious role prior to Die Hard, because I think this is even early in his moonlighting days. So Bruce Willis plays a, an arms a weapons dealer, and he's also an abusive husband. And so Sonny, Cro- Sonny, uh, Sonny Crockett and Tubbs, they've been slowly trying to work the case because they know he's moving arms, and they're trying to make sure they get a bus. They're trying to get him with actual, like, he's got surface-to-air missiles. And they're like, that's having surface-to-air missiles that could be fired out of Miami is incredibly dangerous. So they're trying to keep their cover and try to build the case. Meanwhile, Sonny Crockett knows the wife is getting beat nightly by Bruce Willis. And he's like, she's like, I want to run away. He's like, I can't have you run away. I need this case. I, I will get you into witness protection. I will like, I want to try to get you on the stand and you can say that this and that. And so he's like trying to, trying to tell her like, cause she kind of realizes he admits, he's like, look, I'm an undercover. Like I want to get you out of here, but I need like, give me like another week and I'm going to bust him. And spoilers for this episode, but it's really cool. Essentially they nail it. They nail Bruce Willis. Now he's got some lawyers and they're oh, he's going to like, and he's going to do a little perp walk. So Bruce Willis, he looks exactly like his moonlighting day. He dresses like in these like nice shirts, but he's an absolute monster. Like he's an absolute evil man and so when he does that smirk coming out of the courthouse you're you're like you're scum you are absolute pond scum <laughs> and sonny crockett is no he has exactly the same face he's sitting there with his shades and him and tubbs got their arms folded like this guy's scummy like he's gonna walk right now but like we're gonna make sure the, ca- the federal case is on him like his lawyers can't dodge like this and that um and he and he sees the corner of his eye the wife is getting out of a car and he's like slow motions. She's on the other side of the courthouse steps. She's reaching into her purse. She's pulling out like a 38 revolver and Sonny's like, and he just like cuts to like her, like essentially doing like the Lee Harvey Oswald shot where she just like hits him in the gut on the courthouse <laughs> steps. And it's like, and Sonny's like running over and, the, and that's it. Cut the credits. You're like, she's going to get arrested for shooting it uh, you know, shooting him in public. And I assume Sonny's going to have to like be a, like a, some kind of character witness for her to be like, no, she's absolutely abused. Like I was, I was, a, I was a witness to it. Like when I was doing, I don't know, does he have to like blow his own cover to do that? I don't know, but it, it is a really good, like mm-hmm. early in the season show that showed that like Bruce Willis oh, wow. could absolutely play an evil man. Um, so I wanted to like, give people that, like, give you a little option. Like, go check this out. If you can find it. Um, I bought the box set a while ago. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Michael Mann. And my fifth one is uh, I, wa- I, I thought I wanted to go even more off the beat path. I chose his Ocean's 12 cameo because he gets to play himself and he gets to make fun of Julia Roberts, who is playing Tess Ocean, who is pretending to be Julia Roberts. And it's right. like 
The reason that movie upsets a lot of people is like they broke the unwritten rule of you can't say the actors look like the actors. Like we're, right. we're told since <laughs> since watching movies, no, 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 no. For the next two hours, you're pretending that this actor is playing a character who's not an actor. And so when the movie, when they decide to like Steven Soderbergh's like, yeah, we're doing it. You're like, I don't know. I feel uncomfortable. You're breaking the rule. You're breaking that fourth wall on a story level. And the fact that like you have Matt Damon and like John Cheadle and they're all George Clooney, they're all straight, but they're not the actors. They're just the heisters. They got to, and they have to pretend to be her agents and stuff. And then Bruce Willis is there. And he's like, Julia, how you doing? And he's like, riffing on bits he's like kind of like the player where he's just like they're having fun like they were years ago and like now jay roberts has to pretend like she's like you know that she's her and i thought like the movie is such it's breaking it's like the the, the seams of like what a film is is breaking because we're breaking all the fourth walls of like what a conventional uh movie's supposed to be and they're like no the actor she loves look like her and a real actor's now addressing that and the real actor's looking at Matt Damon, but Matt Damon's not Matt Damon. He's playing a heister who has to be pretend to pretend to be her agent in front of Bruce Willis. And so, like, Bruce just playing off of all of that. He gets to play, like, the dub Hollywood actor who likes to run to the Europe and they like to, you know, meet in lobbies of art, art galleries. It's just so silly and fun that I'm like, I think that should be referenced. Like, that Bruce Willis could get to play himself and be an absolute goofball. And... But the, the tone of the film is that, oh, no, Bruce Willis is here. What do we do is is such a fun little thing. <laughs> Makes sense. Thank you. I, I, so that when, I, when I thought about this at the beginning, right. I was like, I got to bring movie Rob some real ones. I can't just say like, oh, I like him and this and that. Like, I got to I got to juice it a bit. I got to get him something. We're near the end of the film. We got to put some new life. Into definitely it. juiced it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you did. Thank you very much for that, Dave. So you want to tell people uh, where they can find you? Yes, yeah. Hey, uh, if you like me spouting off uh, hours about nonsense, um, my podcast, Five Minutes of Mystery, if you haven't heard about it, I talk about the 1999 superhero comedy ensemble Mystery Men. I am working on stuff. I am working on an epilogue. Uh, I promised uh, the fans, just buy me time. Like, just listen to all these other great Movies by Men's podcasts. Don't worry. And when I have it all ready for you, we're going to have some fun. Um, you know, <laughs> keep subscribed, I promise. But um, yeah, uh, other than that, yeah, you can find me at, at Five Minutes of Mystery on Twitter. Uh, if you want to talk about any comic book nonsense or movie nonsense, I'm happy to hear about it. So, uh, you know, thank you for having me on. This, this is going to be a fun week. I'm excited, looking forward to it. Yeah, me too, me too. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, movearoundminute.com. So until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay! If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages, it